0: Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash athlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about using movement screens in sports, returning back to gymnastics after injury, and how we assess and manage pain thresholds. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reinhold Show. I'm up here, champion PT and performance up in Boston, Mass., Lenny McCrina, Dave Tilly, Dan Pope, Mike Scaduto, physical therapist here at Champion. We're here answering your questions, so keep them coming. Head to MikeReynolds.com, click that podcast link, and there's a form to ask us all these great questions. So fill them out. We get a bunch of new ones every week. We want to keep seeing more from you guys. So let's take it away from our students. We're going to start with Zach Tallyho from Regis University. Is it university? University. What's the difference between a university and a college? One begins with a U, one begins with a I C. Said we're finally Good Seinfeld, right? We finally have recurring teams, <laughs> like recurring jokes and stuff like that. I still don't know these answers. So Zach's going to start off, and then Logan Genghis Khan from U- U- Wash University. I'm going to say the University of Washington. It's wash U. U. Yeah. Wash, wash you. you. Watch you, 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 baby. Wash U, baby. Wash U. Wash U. No one. Wash U. I was stupid. <laughs> Tally Ho. Uh, Debra from North Carolina. What trends do you see in movement screens for injury prevention in professional sports? What is being used and by whom? What research is needed? In professional sports. So what movement screens are being used in professional sports? Hmm, I don't know if we necessarily know what other people are doing. Right. Uh, we can talk about the evolution of movement screens in professional sports. So I'd say the FMS is probably still like the, probably the movement screen that people are trying to use the most to uh, predict injury and stuff like that. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, I know in my experience, I know myself and many other people are kind of moving away from that in terms of using it as an injury prediction tool. Because uh, we're not quite seeing that that's relevant. I think the biggest issue with that, and this is I'll leave it at this, is that each sport is so inherently different. That I'm not sure if there's one movement screen that can that can do this for every sport, you know. So I know in baseball we have special things that we look for that are above and beyond like the FMS. So I don't know, maybe Dave, Dan, you guys can talk about some of your screens that you use in gymnastics and some of your high-level fitness people. Mike, you can talk about golf real quick. But like I think right here, just from just from us right here, we all have slightly different screens based on the sport we use. So I don't know if there's one, but you wanna
1: yeah compensate? I would say that. I definitely started out after school, like kind of in that system, pretty heavy. And I found, like you said, with baseball, that I was a lot of stuff that I was lacking to see a gym a CrossFit athlete, whoever it was. And I would say that I took the principles of the screen, or maybe some of the things, and then I kind of filled in all the things that I felt were missing. And it's much more of a composite screen now that it is, you know, these tests with these numbers. And uh, I would, I would say that in talking with great people, they agree that it's kind of moving away from injury and it's much more of like a what does someone do at a baseline level. So I guess that's where I'm taking it personally.
2: Yeah, I think it. You know, Mike was kind of alluding to it in the literature. I think things like hamstring strength testing and that type of deal is is coming about in certain sports because they see a ton of hamstring problems and they're noticing that if you're you're weak, that could be a predictor. You know, uh, I think for me, I I, I still look at mobility. I, I'll uh, I'll do my own uh, system. We've kind of created our own. We've alluded to this before. Um, I was educated in the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. Dave and I have kind of. Um uh, traveled and spoke a little bit about how to uh, assess your athlete for the crossfit population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in sports where you require a lot of mobility to perform well, it's going to be important, right? A lot of people will poo-poo things like stretching as a way to not, you know, reduce the risk of injury. But if someone can get into the right positions to perform their sport, then it makes sense that they probably should get the mobility in order to do that. And it also makes sense if someone's moving poorly from a perspective, one joint's moving a little bit more, we do think that could be potentially related to an injury. So I know a lot of people say like stretching is not important, and you know, big studies will show that stretching doesn't really prevent injury. The other part is that if you can't get into the right positions or if you're in a poor position, it's going to lead to more stress in a different area. Sometimes I think that's going to lead to a problem. So, again, population-specific.
1: And I would I would piggyback kind of like the three things that we've talked about is like we, our populations could blow the FMS out of the water and be super hypermobile, and that's their main issue. So I think that's a, a challenge with only using one type of system, whether it's FMS or something else, is what if somebody – super hyper mobile and gets to the next screen, but then can't, you know, control it. Right. Mike, what about golf? Yeah, I guess in golf right now, it's, uh, right now people are using the Titleist Performance uh, Institute screen, TPI screen, and uh, we use that on our golfers here. And I mean, don't use it to predict injury kind of whatsoever. Uh, we do the screen, it's a movement screen, and, and we're kind of just looking at how those physical characteristics manifest themselves in the golf swing. Um, but we're not trying to predict any kind of injury um, by using that screen. We're just trying to see kind of the relationship between the two so I don't know, I'm not trying to predict injury through that <laughs> yeah well you're, try, you're trying to figure out what to do with the person right and I think How that's the way it. to do it they much more come down to do you have what you need to do the sport yeah and that,
0: the titleist did that well so you know TPI did a good job with that concept with Greg Rose and those guys like just figuring out what to do and it's kind of what we did with baseball we, we hit it from two ends we said one what do we know has been shown to cause injuries in say like the pitching delivery right and then if we know certain mechanical faults in the pitching delivery can potentially increase force on the body and, and stress, then you know, we, can, we can easily develop a screen for that. So that's one. And then the other hand is, well, what do you need to do in your pitching delivery to maximize your output, like your velocity or your effectiveness as a pitcher? And then obviously you can come up with a screen for that. So I'd say to answer the question in a very super long way is it has to be specific for your sport. So I think the the, the trend right now in movement <coughs> screens is away from one standardized screen that can magically predict injury and everything and to customize it based based on the person in front of you. So, oh, boom. Schmecks. <laughs> <Next. laughs> Alright, we got a longer question here. Rob from New York. I have recently had an influx of 10 to 15 year old female gymnasts. 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 In the past few weeks as their season ends, I specifically have seen Sever's disease and stress fractures of the fifth metatarsal in athletes who pushed through for the last few weeks or months. Any wisdom on how, on how long the girl should be pain-free before returning to sport? Have any of you brilliant men, cough, cough, Dave, established a return to gymnastics <laughs> protocol similar to graded return to throwing, such as five jumps a week for week one, as you would do with throwing, controlling for frequency, intensity, and repetitions? All right, so mental note. Logan's going to read your question exactly as written. This is like man right? <laughs> he read, cough, cough. I think you're supposed to go... Uh, Awesome. All right, so Dave, Jenny, what do you think? Gymnast, how do you, when is it safe for a gymnast to return? So you see a ton of these overuse injuries. When is it safe to return? And then do you have an interval return to gymnastics program that you follow?
1: Yeah, so I would say in terms of uh, like when they can start going back, it's obviously pain free ADLs are usually like the basic kind of starting point. If you can't tolerate just like walking stairs, living your life, it's really going to be hard to tolerate forces of gymnastics that are multiple times body weight. So that along with the basic stuff of range of motion strength, kind of like pain-free movement. Um, In terms of the interval thing, I would say that this is kind of where I've adopted most of your guys' work kind of in parallel to mine is that's how I started navigating the waters if there wasn't really an objective return to anything in gymnastics. So I kind of looked at the pitching programs and the distances and the principles. And I would say in the same degree, I kind of push them back in terms of the, the quality and the quantity, right? So in terms of the uh, quantity being like the numbers they do and then the quality of like the surfaces. People don't realize gymnastics, there's a variety of different surfaces they use that are of de- varying degrees of force. So uh, Lenny's favorite, the tumble track is uh, more trampoline based and the forces are buffered significantly more than on the actual hard floor. Uh, and then foam pits are like almost no force, tumble tracks are next up and then they have things called rod strips, which are like modified technology of springs, which are probably like halfway. So I would say if you're someone who's not familiar with gymnastics, probably ask the coaches about if they have those pieces of equipment available. And I usually start with pit and then tumble track and then rod strips and then actual floor. Usually over like four weeks, like week by week. Um, and then I do count objectively how many they take. So if they're a landing athlete, it's like, okay, five dismounts in pit. And then maybe the next week it's five dismounts on tumble track and move your way up. And then just kind of calculate an average starting, I guess. I'm not going to lie. I completely guess because there's no normative data. And then just kind of like, be honest, be like it's going to have some good days, some bad days, pull back when you feel cranky, give yourself a day off, keep going more if you feel like you can handle it. Kind so art meets the science. Similar
0: principles of volume and frequency yep. kind of going over time. Yep. But instead of like, you know, with sports like baseball, for example, we'll do number of throws, distance of throws, intensity yeah. of throws. So it's not just quantity and frequency, but it's the same concept for you. You might do, you know, you're, it sounds like you're going to ground reaction forces. Yeah. So that's going to be the aggressiveness of their jumps,
1: mm-hmm. right, as well as the surface of the yep. jumps. And the so height.
0: Yeah, right, right. To hide the apparatus. Yeah,
1: so pretty interesting. There's actually a lot of ways to manipulate it if you just kind of talk with the coaches.
0: Awesome, sweet. Tally Ho, what's next?
1: Dylan from Virginia. How do you assess
0: pain threshold and deal with patients slash athletes that try to minimize their pain and injury in order to be able to return to sport sooner? Nice, pain threshold. Dan Pope, I seem to recall a recent article on your website, (laughs) fitnesspainfree.com. I kind of talked a little bit about this. So what, what's your thought on pain threshold and people? Sounds like his specific question too is sounds like somebody Someone trying to grit through, trying to yeah. go through. Yeah. It, which to is, is, it. I mean, most people kind of do that. So, I mean, yeah. but what, what's your thoughts on that pain threshold concept?
2: Well, I guess what I've been writing about lately is that um, you know it's a big question our, our patients ask all the time: how much pain is okay? You know, there is was that uh, systematic review and BGSM that talked about if you push through a little bit more pain, um, you tend to have better short-term outcomes, short-term outcomes as opposed to no pain at all. Long-term outcomes were the same, but at least it gives us a little bit more wiggle room um, for our patients. And when they are having some injury or they're having some pain, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, um, I really like those graphs from uh, Adrian Lowe's text, uh, Therapeutic Neuroscience Education, where it's a little bit of a sweet spot. So if your pain threshold is here, right? want to work at that pain threshold. If they want to blow through your pain necessarily, and the other piece is if you do too little, you might not be pushing enough to get better. You know, um, so That was kind of the, the article that I was writing. Um, as far as getting back to a sport and the athletes that push too hard and they don't necessarily say that they're hurting, I think a lot of times you can kind of tell, right? I think it comes down to knowing your athlete that's in front of you. I've had a lot of athletes, and these guys are actually very tough to work with because they, they don't really understand that blowing through their pain can potentially not be a good thing. So you'll tell them that you have to be able to listen to your pain and they want to be tough, they want to push through it, they go back and do things that are probably irritating them further and they end up you know, potentially getting hurt. Um, and I think a lot of times it's a big-time education process. you got to let them know that their ultimate goal is to get better, get back to the sport, whatever it is. And if you're constantly pushing too hard, you're not actually getting better. You're getting worse. And you'll see that. Like, athletes won't be able to run as fast, change direction as, as well. Their, their performance on basic exercise will go down. So you can see that from week to week. And we say, okay, we probably need to change things up a little bit. Um, I think you're still going to get those knuckleheads that just don't care. And they keep on pushing through it. And they don't get better. And that's, that's a very challenging athlete to work with. Um, And the other piece is that it depends what they're trying to get back for, right? If you have a major competition that's coming up and that individual uh, isn't potentially going to be ready for that, you're going to try your best to prepare them so that when they get to that competition, they're not basically under-trained. So sometimes you are pushing through a bit more pain um, because they need to be able to bridge that gap a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, on an individual basis, um, knowing the athlete is going to be really important. And just trying to give that athlete what you feel is best for them from a rehab perspective. I think you can see compensations. Like you said, if you know your athlete pretty well, <clears throat> you can see compensations.
1: They're throwing mechanics and they're jumping and landing, how much force they can produce, how intense they're able to, you know, they can mask it somewhat. But I think if you've got a keen eye on them and you, you've seen them at their best or somewhat at their peak or even not, you should be able to pick up some compensations.
0: In my experience with sports medicine, I'd say <clears throat> no athlete feels good right i don't know if that's like a good blank statement but i mean think about baseball so a baseball pitcher definitely doesn't feel good right they hurt every day right and they still get out there and pitch somehow Uh, the position players play 162 games in 180 days pretty sure they don't feel good right i mean that's kind of safe to say Um, i'm pretty sure football players don't feel good (laughs) i don't even know how they get out of bed on monday Um, so i I mean i think there's a certain sense of that i think dan said it really well you can push way too far but i think if you're trying to play at zero percent and feel 100 percent all the time i think i I think that's going to be really challenging you know, so I, you know, I think it, it for us, it's about understanding that it's okay that they're in a little pain sometimes, as long as one, we know that the risk reward ratio is there, right? So we just have to make sure. If if they have a significant injury, right, and you're you're thinking they have a very limited chance of being able to play without, with, without hurting themselves more, then that becomes a different equation. But just working through some pain, as long as their as long as their you know performance is up, I think that, that's pretty common. I guess is what I would say. So. One more.
2: That's it? That's three.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate another great episode. Head to MikeReynell.com, click on that podcast link, ask us questions, go to iTunes, rate and review, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynell.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.